Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, June 10th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and today I'm joined on the podcast by Slash Film writers Y. Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. All right, guys, so let's just jump right into the news today. Chris, Dark Phoenix, the most recent and possibly last question mark, at least of this era, X-Men movie, uh, came out this most recent Friday. And um, unfortunately, it has not performed very well at the box office. But in addition to that, some reports have come out about uh, the making of this movie. What do we know about the tragedy that is Dark Phoenix? Well, Ben, don't forget uh, New Mutants, which might come out someday. Oh, yeah, I think that'll technically be the, the last of whatever Fox's X-Men films are, if it ever comes out. But um, there's this there's this fun new trend I've noticed recently. I don't know if it's new in general or if I just noticed it recently. But anytime a big movie comes out and it just seems like it's doomed from the start... There's almost immediately a story in one of the trades, you know, Variety or Deadline or, or uh, The Hollywood Reporter, in which uh, unnamed sources uh, start pointing fingers and start starting to explain why everything went wrong. Uh, it happened with, you know, The Mummy, the Tom Cruise Mummy. It happened recently with Hellboy, and now it's happening with Dark Phoenix, because Dark Phoenix came out over the weekend, and it's it's looking like it's going to lose at least... $100 million at the box office and Ooh. no one wants to, uh, no one wants to take the blame for that. So, you know, as usual, the, the anonymous sources are, they're now out there. They're talking to deadline and other publications and they're trying to explain what happened. Um, one of the things they, one of the things they blame is, you know, the, the reshoots, which everyone knew about and really reshoots are not that uncommon, especially for big movies like this. Reshoots are usually even built into a lot of movies schedules, but, the problem with this film was the reshoots uh, ended up pushing the release dates around um, more than once. And then even more release date problems happened. Um, and again, this is all anonymous sourcing. So take it with a grain of salt. There's a chance this isn't true. But word has it that uh, Stacy Snyder, who is um, the CEO of Fox Studios, 
was asked by James Cameron, who has a lot of pull at Fox because, you know, Avatar is the, the biggest movie ever. And he he made that movie. Uh, James Cameron came to them and said, look, I don't want my movie Alita Battle Angel, which he produced opening in Christmas, because then it's going to have to compete with Aquaman and Mary Poppins Returns. So I want you to open my movie in February. Um, the problem is the, the, the folks behind Dark Phoenix were hoping to open Dark Phoenix in February to get a jump on uh, Avengers Endgame and uh, Captain Marvel. But because James Cameron has so much sway, Fox pushed Dark Phoenix to a summer release and opened Alita in February. And so that that's being hailed as one of the reasons the movie failed, even though I really don't think that's that's the biggest reason it underperformed. But it might have done better if it had opened in February before everything else. So there's that. Yeah. Wow. That's um, I mean, HT uh, as wait, Chris, have you seen Dark Phoenix yet? Absolutely not. Okay, yeah, me neither. So HT is the only one on this podcast who's actually seen this movie. Does hearing anything about the the troubles behind the scenes on this film does this uh, surprise you in any way based on the the actual final it product? Does not surprise me in the least. Um, I talked a little bit about this before. Uh, Dark Phoenix is not a great movie. It's not a complete disaster like a lot of critics are calling it, but it is a big mess. And uh, there are several tonal uh, shifts and um, that are very unexplained. And there's just a lot of um, issues with the movie that definitely feel like they have been kind of cobbled together after the fact. And um, it, uh, it's definitely, um, it's kind of sad that this is how the X-Men franchise, well, not this, but uh uh, what was the New Mutants? Yeah, is how it's how this franchise is ending. But yeah, it's a. It seems like um, none of this is a big shock to me. Is what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was going to say like a part of me really wishes Fox had dumped this movie and pushed New Mutants instead because at least you know this is my humble opinion, but at least New Mutants looks different it looked like something different and maybe that's what audiences might have wanted whereas dark phoenix not only is it just another x-men movie it's something that already was made into a movie with x-men the last stand from and with the same writer too right exactly like so maybe if fox had been like oh let's give them something they haven't seen before that would have done better but then again what do i know maybe that would have bombed too i don't know yeah i'm right there and poor yeah both Stark sisters are just not having a good time right now. <laughs> yeah, in the in the X Men universe, I forgot that Maisie mm-hmm. Williams is in New Mutants. Man, is that movie ever going to come out? We'll have to wait and see about that. But um, so, uh, you know, talking about the X Men franchise, um, there's a I guess it was probably about this time last week we learned that around a decade ago, 20th Century Fox was developing a movie. Uh, an X-Men movie that would have featured other superhero characters that they uh, were licensing at that point. So Fantastic Four, Deadpool, Daredevil, all of these characters were going to be in the same movie. And we didn't really know much about it because uh, Zach Stentz, who was one of the writers who was hired to write this secret X-Men project, couldn't really talk about it. But The Hollywood Reporter on Friday afternoon um, published a... Uh, I guess a newsletter that has a breakdown of what this movie would have been. And I'm just going to read this to you guys because this is fascinating to think about, especially in light of the performance of Dark Phoenix and sort of as an alternate history in uh, comic book movie fandom, geekdom, all of that stuff. So 
According to The Hollywood Reporter's sources, Fox considered building toward a crossover movie that would have pitted the X-Men against the Fantastic Four. Think of it as a civil war for the Fox Marvel characters. The studio enlisted first X-Men First Class screenwriters, uh, which are Zach Stentz and Ashley Edward Miller, to pen the script, which saw Johnny Storm go Nova while trying to apprehend the villain Molecule Man. Johnny blows a hole in Manhattan and sparks the Superhero Registration Act in response to the carnage. Ah. The heroes are split on ops, on opposing sides, and among the key matchups was a Wolverine versus Mr. Fantastic battle that ended with Reed Richards pinning Wolverine down, extending his hands until they're one molecule wide, and using them as scissors to cut the mutant's arms off. Eventually, the heroes make peace, leading to a post-credit scene that teases what's next, a scroll invasion. So this was in 2010, and right around the same time that Miller and Stentz were writing X-Men First Class. And that movie ended up performing so well that 20th Century Fox just decided to basically stick with the status quo and and just continue making X-Men movies. And I think the next one that came out after that was 2014's Days of Future Past. But, I mean, Chris, you're talking about, like, you know, giving something, giving audiences something they hadn't seen yet uh, for New Mutants. But think about, you know, 2010. This is only two years into the MCU as we know it. This is before the Avengers. 20th Century Fox had an opportunity here to beat Marvel Studios to the punt. Well, Marvel Studios, I'm not even sure if it really uh, existed in the same way that it does now, then, because they were still, I think Paramount was still releasing their movies um, back then, but and they weren't like their own fully uh, autonomous company yet. But I mean, this is just so wild to think about that Fox had the chance to potentially beat Marvel to the superhero crossover, the large scale superhero crossover punch there. Um, when when you guys heard this premise, I mean, okay, first thoughts. What 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 was your gut reaction on hearing this? Does this sound like something that you would have been interested in seeing in, you know, circa 2011 or whatever it might have come out? HD, what about you? It certainly is wildly ambitious. Um, I don't know if audiences would have been down for the story, but I kind of would be interested in seeing it just because of how um, almost absurd some of these twists are. But again, it feels very comic book, which I am encouraged by because I like when movies kind of lean into those comic book sensibilities and just kind of go all out. So I would have been interested to see if they had been able to pull this off um, and if it would have uh, had the same impact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe had uh, when they did a similar thing with Civil War later, but in a much more grounded level. I don't, I feel like if they had done it this early, it might have blown up in their faces, but at least we would have had something truly, truly weird. Yeah, that's true. And and Chris, I forgot to mention before I get your response uh, that Paul Greengrass, who directed a lot of the Bourne movies and films like Captain Phillips, was flirting with directing this movie. So uh, taking that combination, yeah, taking that into consideration, what do you think about this, Chris? I mean, uh, well, first of all, how wide is a molecule? That really threw me <laughs> off when you said that. I know, well, I can't well, imagine it. I don't even know okay. what that means, but I feel like that they're trying to go for something like he kind of becomes an atomic bomb or something. I don't really know. I, I'm yeah, but continue Chris. I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to say like, cause I'm just picturing this looking like those old, there's older fantastic four movies, which are just awful looking. So I just imagine this would be terrible too, but I, I, I really don't know. I mean, Paul Greengrass directing would be interesting. Although I can't imagine like the action looking 
good. It would just be all like that that shaky cam stuff he does, and I don't think that would work for something like this. So I, I really don't know. Yeah, and I really love. I think X Men First Class is probably my favorite of the X Men movies. Uh, I haven't rewatched them in a long time, but that's my you know retrospective view on looking back on that series. Um, and Miller and Stentz were gonna, you know, they were the writers of X Men First Class, and they were attached to write this thing, or actually did write this thing. So, um, man, what a, a fascinating sort of uh, alternate reality that we could have been in there. But uh, speaking of superheroes, let's move on to our next topic, which is a Ms. Marvel project of some way, or you know, we don't know if this is a movie or a TV show or what. But uh, discussions have been had in the halls of Marvel Studios about this property. HT, what do we know? Yes. So Mindy Kaling, who is recently uh, starring in the late uh, the movie Late Night with uh, Emma Thompson, revealed that she has spoken to Marvel Studios about a potential Ms. Marvel project. Um, it, she doesn't elaborate whether this is a TV show or a movie, but she says that uh, they are excited about she's excited about this character and that they really seem interested in uh, what she has to say about this character. So uh, Ms. Marvel is um, a comic book title starring Kamala Khan, who is the uh, first Pakistani-American superhero from Marvel Comics. And uh, she is essentially a uh, fangirl of Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers' character, and um, finds out that she has superpowers because she is inhuman. And those powers get awakened one day, um, and she has the power of shape-shifting. So um, it's a really fun, really zany series about um, this teenage girl who's trying to balance the her life as a high school teenager with this super ha- powered uh, double lifestyle. It kind of has a lot of shades of early Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And uh, I feel like Mindy Kaling would be a really great fit for this because um, it has some more comedic sensibilities to it. And Mindy Kaling is a great comic writer. Um, and she also has her own uh, sort of dabblings with coming of age um shows coming up with the Netflix show that's uh, being developed based on her own childhood. So uh, we don't know yet if this is something that is in the works, but uh, Kaling has confirmed that she has talked to Marvel about this and has hinted maybe that it could be for the streaming service. Who knows? But if this happens, I would be very excited. Yeah, it sounds like kind of a cool idea. And I mean, especially the um, the what you mentioned as, as uh, Kamala, uh, Kamala Khan. Is that how you pronounce the character's name? Yes. How she sort of sounds like uh, an early Peter Parker type of character. Because the MCU, as we know it right now, really only has Peter in that mold. And there aren't very many other characters. You know, like my wife and I have this theory that like um, some of the reasons that we loved watching certain movies or reading certain books as kids were that the protagonists of those stories were just like, you know, one or two years older than we were when we experienced them for the first time. So there's a sort of like aspirational quality to watching things like that. And for younger, you know, the, the uh, current audience of the MCU is just getting older, right? So like the idea of introducing another younger character like this, that, that younger audiences and maybe people who aren't even fully, um, haven't fully experienced the entire MCU yet could latch onto as an entry point. Sounds like sort of a smart move um, on a business level. Um, and certainly creatively, we've seen that movies like Black Panther and stuff, you know, uh, introducing characters and, and viewpoints and perspectives that we haven't seen done to death in, in media before is always a great thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, all of this sounds kind of cool to me. I'm not, I'm not sure about Mindy as a, the writer of it. I mean, obviously she has a lot of... Uh, 
of history as a, a writer and producer in her own right. I just, I'm not sure about the superhero aspect of that. It's, this could be something where it's, it reminds me of Spider-Man Homecoming where it's like half, you know, uh, teen drama kind of stuff and, and half superhero stuff. So maybe she could get a, a co-writer on to sort of uh, help out with the superhero angle of it. I don't, I don't want to reduce it to that and make it sound so simplistic, but, um, I don't know. She she might be able to pull this off. Chris, do you have any thoughts on a, a potential Ms. Marvel uh, property and and how that may or may not be introduced into whatever form of the MCU where that's coming up? I mean, I, I'm not really. I know of the character. I just never read anything about it. But her. Um. But I'm not. A, I think this is a pretty good idea. I do agree that I don't know if Mindy Kaling is right for this, even though I like her as a writer. Um. After seeing Late Night, I'm <laughs> I'm less uh inclined to, to to be that interested in stuff she writes just because i think that movie is has a really sloppy screenplay but i'm alone in that thought people seem to love that movie so maybe i'm wrong no i'll i'll whisper very quietly into my microphone that i kind of agree with you on that chris but um well, so... i haven't seen late night yet but i was a fan of her show the mindy project which she starred and uh created so um, that show, too, had its own problems with pacing and writing. But I find that she is really funny and can be really talented um, when she has uh, when she's given the shot. Um, but sometimes, yeah, she maybe will need an editor to uh, help her smooth things along sometimes. But I think that this is a good fit, actually. And uh, I'm, I'd be excited to see what she would do with the character, which she said she's a big fan of. Um, and also, I wanted to say that Kevin Feige has actually hinted at the um, at introducing Kamala Khan into the MCU a couple like maybe a couple years ago but um, once Captain Marvel was introduced into the fold so potentially now that Captain Marvel is part of the MCU we might see Kamala Khan either in the movies or in TV yeah I mean it certainly makes sense on a story level as well and and actually you mentioned like you know Mindy might, maybe could use an editor maybe all she needs is Kevin Feige you know just like a, a guiding a guiding force who can sort of um, you know shape the the loose like like form an umbrella over her for you know where she can operate underneath that and and that's the whole thing about the mcu it's all like producer driven and um you know people have been able to bring their their certain uh flares to it here and there but um yeah certainly from a writer's perspective being able to create a character like that or create a, a movie or a disney plus show or something for a character like this would be a, a pretty interesting challenge so um yeah we'll have to keep our eyes on that and see how ms marvel comes along in the future but uh in the meantime let's jump over to the blair witch project this movie came out what almost uh what 20 years ago i guess right or or maybe earlier than that i, I don't was this a 1999 movie chris yes 1999 okay. Oof, yeah so now a only 20 years later a video game is uh is coming to fruition what do we know about this chris uh, yeah, this game is, is just called Blair Witch, and it's headed to um, the Xbox One and uh, PCs this August. And the game is set in 1996, and you you play as a uh, a cop trying to find a kid who went missing in in those those haunted woods. And it actually looks pretty cool. I don't have an Xbox One, and I don't I doubt I'm gonna buy one just for this one game, but. If I played games, I, I might get this just because I, I like the Blair Witch Project. I'm a huge fan of the original. I even like the first sequel, not so much the latest sequel, but I, I liked the, the first one. And uh, this looks like a good, creepy uh, first person game. It kind of looks like that game Alan Wake, if anyone ever played that. But so 
I'm vaguely interested in this. Someone, someone feel free to buy me an Xbox One and I'll play this. <laughs> so, Chris, just to be clear, this seems to be like a, a totally new story, right? It's not necessarily like a, a um, reinterpretation of any of the specific events in as they've been depicted in the movies. Right. It's, it's set in 1996, which is actually before um, the movie was – the first movie was released, and it also conveniently sidesteps – all the sequels. So this is a, a, a self-contained story. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I wonder like what the I actually haven't even watched the reveal trailer that we can that's that you've embedded in your article, and I'll link to that in the show notes for people to be able to watch. So I'll, I'll add that to my watch later list. But um, something like Blair Witch was obviously like a a first person POV kind of um, you know shaky cam handheld kind of thing. That seems like an interesting idea for. I mean, I know horror video games have become. Uh, much more popular in recent years than they have been in, in years past. So I wonder if this could be sort of an interesting, like a formal exercise, like a return to that POV sort of thing instead of like the, the third person RPG kind of style that seems to be uh, so prominent lately. But uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jacob will have some thoughts about this next time he, he's on the podcast because I know he's a big uh, video gamer and a, a horror fan as well. So I'll have to ask him about that. But let's move on to our next topic, which is that G Kids, which is a uh, animation distributor, has acquired its first Chinese animated movie called White Snake. HT, what do we know about this? G Kids. So G Kids is an indie uh, animation distributor, which is best known for distributing award-winning fare like The Breadwinner, uh, My Life as a Zucchini, and all the works of Studio Ghibli. Recently, has just acquired the U.S. distribution rights for White Snake, which is. Uh, the latest sumptuous box office hit in China. It grossed 67 million uh, at the Chinese box office and became one of the top performing Chinese made animation films. So now it's making its way stateside this fall and uh, has been set for a release in fall 2019. Um, White Snake is based off of the classic Chinese fable, The Legend of the White Snake, although it's loosely based because it actually is imagined more of a prequel to the, the fable. It tells the story of this um, of a hunter and this love story with a uh, snake uh, that is disguised as a human hunter as well. So um, the Legend of the White Snake is a fable I, I only recently learned about through a TED Ed video, which we'll link in the show notes. It's a very cool video with cool animation itself. Um, it tells the story of this um, uh man who and his wife who actually happens to be a snake demon and uh, he does not know this but he is warned by a monk that there is evil underneath this household and given a potion that reveals his snake wife and uh, she but after they um, his initial shock uh, she proves her love to him and uh, they end up living happily ever after, I think. I can't remember the entire fable. I t I'm telling it very wrongly, but it's a fascinating <laughs> video. And uh, it's a great story and fable, which um, is very fascinating and isn't quite the typical good and evil story that you would anticipate. It actually originally started off as more a, of a horror myth before it evolved into a forbidden romance, which is really fascinating. Um, but this is kind of the loose inspiration for uh, the animated film White Snake, which is uh, comes from the Beijing-based Light Chaser Animation Studio. So, Ishii, what do we know about uh, Chinese animation as a whole? Because, uh, you know, personally, I don't really know much about it at all. And is this a 
is this like a relatively new phenomenon? For, I, I mean, obviously, like the Chinese people have been making blockbusters that have been slowly creeping up in terms of like being able to legitimately compete and sometimes even overtake Hollywood blockbusters. And uh, the Chinese uh, box office is like one of the most important uh, in the entire world. So what about Chinese animated movies? I'm like woefully ignorant on this subject. I have to say I'm not too familiar with the subject either, but uh, animation isn't new to the Chinese movie industry. There are movies stretching back to the 1920s, and uh, through the years there have been films from studios that mostly focus on uh, the various art forms with Chinese artistic characteristics, like uh, shadow puppetry or um, something called puppetoon. So it's um, more popular domestically. I wouldn't say that they're very big on the world stage, but like you said, more recently they've been starting because China has become such a influential movie industry they're starting to creep into the chart and box office records a little more and become more prominent um, personally I actually know only of films like Flavors of Youth which was released on Netflix it was an anthology film uh, that was a Chinese and Japanese co-production and it was kind of done in a more anime style so that's why I was more aware of it but that was more of a Chinese um, animated film than Japanese even though it's like an anime um, style film and then there are films like you know, Kung Fu Panda 3, which was actually a co-production between DreamWorks and a Chinese animation studio. So they've kind of been um, working in the background in Hollywood, but more so the domestic animated films don't have quite the um, the big the big impact on the world stage mm-hmm. as a uh, you know Pixar and, and DreamWorks and even anime films like me like that of Studio Ghibli. But um, they have um, more recently, I think, in the past. Two decades, uh, there are more CG animated films and more popular animated films that are starting to become more widely known. And uh, like this, White Snake uh, was a big box office hit earlier this year when it was released in, in Chinese theaters, and uh, now it'll be getting a U.S. release, which I think is pretty rare for a lot of Chinese animated films. I don't know if this is the first Chinese animated film that will be getting a stateside release can't say for sure but it seems like it is significant yeah and i would encourage people to watch this trailer because it's only a minute long and it's in the article that's in the show notes and it's really gorgeous there's like a lot of and i was surprised at how uh, beautiful a lot of this um, animation looks so i would definitely encourage people to check that out uh let's move on to glow season three um Chris, who is the latest cast member to be added to the new Netflix show? Or not new, but uh, the newest season of the Netflix show. Uh, Gina Davis is going to be on Glow Season 3. She's going to be in five of the ten episodes. And that I can't imagine anyone who doesn't like this news. Glow is a good show. Everyone likes Gina Davis. This is uh, a win-win for everyone. Sometimes news is good, and this is one of those times. <laughs> I actually don't even really have much more to add than that, because I, I just wanted this to be a PSA to everybody to know that Gina Davis is joining GLOW, because, as you mentioned, this is just a, it's pretty glorious news. She's, she's great, and she seems like such a perfect fit for that world. So what kind of character is she going to be playing here? She is playing uh, a former showgirl turned entertainment director of a hotel in Vegas. Um, if anyone who's watched Glow season two will know that that season ended with the characters. They're going off to Vegas to start the show over there. So season three is going to be set at least partially in Las Vegas. 
that's awesome. So um, I guess let's just move on then to our, our last uh, piece of news. And this one is a little bit more interesting or a little bit more involved, I should say. And that is uh, the new... I guess, is this a subscription service? I think it is, technically. It's going to be a subscription service called Quibi. We've talked about this before. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's short for Quick Bites or like a, uh, what is that, a palindrome? No, not a palindrome. That's backwards, and that's the same thing, backwards and forwards. Uh, what is the the term where two words are, are uh, conjoined? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know, but this is stupid is the word I would use for it. <laughs> okay. Portmanteau. So, yes, a portmanteau. Thank you, HT, for the save. All right. So uh, Quibi is a new uh, subscription service. And Chris, I'm going to ask you to sort of give us a rundown on that, and then we'll get to the actual news of the day. But what is Quibi for those of us, uh, those listening who haven't heard us talk about this before? So Quibi is being advertised or sold basically as Netflix for your phone because it's going to be a bunch of short form content. We're talking like 10 minutes here. Um, it's also going to cost $5, which seems way too high for this sort of thing. And they might want to rethink that. $5 uh, a month? I guess so, yeah. Which hmm. I, honestly, paying anything for short content like this seems dumb to me like 10 minute stuff like i you know i just picture that as being free but what do i know uh this is it's set to launch in 2020 and um it's it's lining up some interesting content uh creators um steven soderbergh is going to be making something uh but i think like the, guillermo del toro is involved in this too like Antoine yeah Fuqua. i think so yeah yeah, so th they're already trying to line up some some heavy hitters, and they've they've just uh, attached the heaviest hitter of all, and that's Steven Spielberg, who is going to be writing a quote creepy and super scary series that uh, can only be watched at night. There's like a the way they're going to be having it is like the player for this episode, the this show will only play after midnight because I guess that's like extra spooky um we don't know what it's called we don't know uh what it's about we just know that spielberg is is writing it and uh that's interesting because you know everyone loves steven spielberg it's also interesting because he spent so long railing against netflix but here he is writing something that's literally meant to be watched on your phone so i guess he doesn't care that much after all yeah, this is fascinating because Spielberg hasn't written anything since the screenplay for AI back in 2001. So this is like the first time that he's going to be taking a creative lead in that regard on any project, you know, movies, TV shows, anything. And he chooses these this sort of short form uh, horror entertainment, which is like uh, an odd choice for him. Don't you think so, Chris? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's very good at suspense. I don't know if he's he's great at outright horror. I mean, he did write poltergeist or come out with poltergeist and he also directed it depending on who you ask um Allegedly. but yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, but i don't i don't really picture spielberg as a horror guy but maybe he has something up his sleeve here maybe we'll, we'll see how it turns out so ht what do you think about the idea of um I guess forcing the audience to if they want to see this content that they have to watch it between you know x hour and x hour before it disappears it's sort of like a reminds me of like a Snapchat kind of thing, but they're, I guess the window is going to be a little bit larger than that. So, or, or is it? I, I don't even know. I don't even have Snapchat. So that's, that's just how far outside of the realm of my knowledge this goes. I don't know if Snapchat is like Instagram stories where it sticks, sticks around for 24 hours, but um, so this might even be a smaller window than that. But like, what do you think about the idea of, uh, of, of altering the window in this way, the viewing window in this way? 
Well, Instagram stories are kind of a copy of Snapchat, so it's definitely <laughs> the 24-hour thing comes from Snapchat stories, but Snapchats that sent to people, but I won't go into it. Um, <laughs> um, i got to have the millennial explain to me how technology <laughs> works on this podcast. People aren't on Snapchat anymore. It's okay. Um, <laughs> what is it? What was I think? I think it's an interesting way of um, building buzz and trying to kind of recapture like that monoculture with TV watching that is kind of dissipating now. Um, I don't know if it'll work with just, you know, high profile names like Spielberg. People will go to see a Spielberg movie, but will they tune in at like midnight to watch something that was maybe written by Spielberg and may or may not be good? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Chris, what do you think about the the viewing window? Uh, I, I mean, I, it's an interesting gimmick. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I'm interested just because Steven Spielberg is involved. If he was, wasn't involved, I would have zero interest in this. So make of that what you will. Yeah. And, and in this article, you also mentioned that, uh, Quibi is going to be releasing 7,000 pieces of content in one year and 25 pieces of content every day. So like this, you know, I mean, talking about like, I already feel like we're drowning in things to watch and like I'm missing out on so many things just because everybody has a limited amount of time in their day and there's not, you know, we can't just sit around all day watching stuff, but like this is so much more and, and the, the it would be so easy to ignore if it didn't have such high profile people attached to it. But I don't know if we're going to be able to ignore, uh, you know, new content written by Steven Spielberg, like just from a, a, uh, a, I don't know, a pop culture perspective, like HT was talking about, like, will audiences show up for this? I don't, I don't know if general audiences will, but certainly people who uh, care about movies enough to be listening to this podcast and, and reading Slash Film on a regular basis will probably be interested enough to seek it out. So Chris, as somebody who, like, covers the streaming beat for the site all the time, I mean, how are you even, are you, like, pulling your hair out at just the thought of Quibi and, like, all of this extra content that you may or may not have to cover? Oh, uh, man, I don't, I can't even imagine covering, like, everything on there. It's, it, I, I, I guarantee if we cover anything, it's going to be, like, the big stuff like this. And yeah. beyond that, I, like, you know, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine. I, I, I just... <laughs> Just, I, it's so I'm exhausting. so tired. I'm just so tired. I don't know. Do we know how long these pieces of content will be? Because 7,000 is a lot. Like, will they be traditional 45-minute episodes of a series? Will they be half hour? Will they be, like, 10 minutes long? Yeah, I think short? they've said, like, 10 to ten to 20 minutes or something is, like, the, oh. the area that they're aiming for. Isn't that right, Chris? Yeah, it's going to be a, 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 a 10 minutes is really, I think, like the max. I, 20 is even pushing it. So it's going to be like 10 minute stuff, multiple episodes. And then I don't even know how you, because there's going to be ads. I don't know how you even insert ads into that. I guess the <laughs> idea is you you stream the entire season. of, But then doesn't that take away from the whole short form thing? I guess like an entire season would add up to like a half hour. I don't even know. I don't know. Like Yeah, and I then there's, and then on top of that, you've got. Chris. Well, yeah, I mean, my brain is breaking over here, too, because like with the Spielberg show, if the viewing window is only at midnight, does it just disappear then? Or can you binge it later? Because it seems like it it would defeat the purpose if it's accessible later on. Um, you know, if they're if they're trying to force you to watch it at night because it's creepy or something, then anytime I don't know, maybe they're going to do that for 
have it just be accessible during the, you know, whatever, let's pretend it's midnight to 2 a.m. or something on the day that it uh, drops, and then maybe they'll wait like a month or something and then have it be accessible for people to to binge later or something? I don't know. There are so many questions about this, but uh, as Chris mentioned, Quibi itself isn't even going to launch until, uh, what did you say, April 2020, I think? So um, we've got some time to try to figure this out, and hopefully people can uh, ask Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's one of the, the brainchild people behind this, uh, that <laughs> maybe some more questions get them to detail exactly how the hell this thing is going to work. But uh, in the meantime, all of this will be pulling our hair out, trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Quibi and content and all of this on a daily basis. But um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this episode, since all of us are, are basically just shells of our former selves. So we're, we're about to be living in a post-Quibi world, guys. So uh, you could find more about that and all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as the uh, some deeper dives into the great features you can find on on the site you can subscribe to the show on itunes google podcasts overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and if you do that make sure you leave your name and general geographic location in your email in case we mention it on the air also don't forget if you can to rate and review the podcast on itunes that really does help us out a lot tell your friends about the show spread the word any way you can thanks for listening everybody and we will talk to you tomorrow <laughs>